By the way, my name is Dwayne Detweiler. I'm the pastor here. I thought I should probably introduce myself since it's been about a month since I preached. It's good to be back up here. Uh, we're, we're in this series uh, called The Seven Core Values, preaching through what we believe are the seven most important things that we do here at Fairlawn. And, and core values are, are to help to keep us on a path that, that we believe God has called us to. And it's important for us um, that, that we, we understand, too, that this is a continual process. We will continue to improve and, and continue to work at getting better at these values. We've talked about gospel-focused teaching and, and gospel-motivated mission and gospel-fueled prayer and gospel-rooted families. And, you know, Steve and Keith and Kelsey did did a really good job of explaining those aspects, those core values to us over the last several weeks. You know, some of these core values we realize are they're, they're, they're idealized values. In other words, they're things that we, that we know are very important, but, but boy, we've got a long, long way to go. We're not there yet. Um, the gospel-motivated mission, we recognize that, that evangelism, that reaching our community is a priority, but, but you have all said in the survey that we're not very good at it. We need to get better. Uh, we need to get better at prayer. And so some of them are idealized. We've got a long way to go. Some of these core values, they're, they're realized values. There's values that, that we feel like we're doing pretty good at, but we still got a long way to go. And so as we go through these values, these are things that we hold very highly. And these are the ways that we make our decisions here at Fairlawn. It will help us to do some things and not do other things. Because this is what we feel is most important. And this morning we're going to talk about gospel-driven discipleship. Or I'm going to use the word disciple-making. Because I think that's more of an ongoing thing. disciple making. So gospel-driven disciple-making. Now, remember, the word gospel means good news. It's good news that Jesus Christ came and died for our sin problem. The word driven means moved or controlled by a specified person or source of power. So gospel-driven, we could say, is the transforming power of Jesus moves us to make disciples. It's because of what Jesus did that we are driven and motivated by him to make disciples. Now, what, what is disciple-making? What does that term mean? I think for us to understand what disciple-making is, we first have to understand what a disciple is. So what is a disciple? A disciple simply is, is a learner and a follower, a student, a follower of Christ in our case. You know, back in Jesus' day, when somebody wanted to be a shepherd or somebody wanted to be a lawyer or, 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 or follow a certain profession, they didn't go to college to learn how to do that. There were no colleges. So what they did was they would be an apprentice. They would learn how to be a shepherd from the chief shepherd. So they would follow him around everywhere he, he went. They would learn and watch. As he taught them, as they watched him, they would become more like him. So, so they were learners. They learned to be shepherds. They learned to be lawyers. They were disciples of this person. 
But what does it mean to be a disciple of Christ? Because you know, as learners, we are to become more like our teachers. So, so what does that look like? You see, because we become or should becoming more Christ-like as disciples of His. In 2 Corinthians chapter 3, in verse 16, it says that whenever somebody turns to the Lord, the veil is taken away. So that when I become a follower of Christ, I turn towards Him. And when I turn towards Him and I receive Him, the veil is taken away. Then it says, for, all, for the Lord is the Spirit, and wherever the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. We become free. And then it says, so all of us who have had the veil removed can see and reflect the glory of the Lord. And the Lord who is Spirit makes us more and more like as we are changed into his glorious image. That's what it means to be Christ-like. To be more and more transformed into his image. As the veil is taken away and his glory comes upon us, we reflect that glory more and more. So we are being changed into his image. But what does being Christ-like, what does that look like? What does it mean to be Christ-like? It means that we become like him in his incarnation. We become like him when he lived here on earth. We follow his example. Philippians chapter 2, it says that we are to have the same attitude of, my, of the mind of Christ Jesus. And, and it says that he made himself nothing, taking on the very nature of a servant. So, so what does it mean to be Christ-like? Well, if we want to be like Christ, we are to be like him in his service. I'm to be like him in his service. I'm to look at him and I'm supposed to serve the way that he served. You know, the night before Jesus hung on the cross, he was in the upper room with his disciples, and he was, he was experiencing the Last Supper. He was experiencing a final intimate moment with those that he had been discipling. And he had been telling them for three and a half years, follow me. I want to show you how to do ministry. And in that moment, Jesus steps away from the table goes and gets a, a basin and a towel, and he bends over and he begins to wash his disciples' feet. And as he goes around and washes each one of their feet, when he's finally done, it says he gets back up and, and he goes back to the table and he says, I have set you this example that you should do what I have done. In other words, you need to be serving each other. If you want to be like Christ, we are called to have the same humility that Christ had, and that means we serve one another. So to be Christ-like, I serve my fellow brothers and sisters. 
I'm willing to wash their feet. I'm willing to do things that, that I don't like doing because I reflect the glory of Christ. We're to be like Christ in his love. Ephesians 5, 2, it says, live a life of love. Just as Christ loved and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering, a sacrifice to God. And so we are to love the way Christ loved, and Christ loved us so much that he was willing to die. And so do we have a sacrificial kind of love for those around us? Do we reflect sacrificial kind of love? You know, Jesus told his disciples, look, the world will know that you are my disciples by the way you love one another. That means we sacrifice for each other. We love one another with an attractive kind of love. We're to be like Christ in his suffering. We've been called to suffer because, because Christ suffered. 1 Peter 2 verse 21 says that to this you were called. Because Christ suffered for you, leaving you an example that you should follow in his step. Now, you're saying, look, I can, I can serve others. I'll wash feet. I can love people. You know, I'll love even, even love people that, that are unlovable. But, but, but sacrificing, but, but giving my life, suffering... I'm not sure that I signed up for that. But if I want to be Christ-like, I must be willing to suffer because Christ suffered for me. Christ, he suffered for you. And so I, in turn, must be willing as a disciple of Christ because, remember, I'm watching, I'm learning from my teacher, and my teacher loved people and served people, and oh, by the way, suffered for people. Hmm. You see, being a disciple costs us. It's sacrificial. It's dying to self. It, it, being a disciple isn't consumer-driven. You know, we live in this consumer-driven culture where everything is about us. It's serve me. It's what's best for me. It's do we have this great children's program for my kids? Do we have a great discipleship program for me? Do we have great music for me? It's all about me. But being a disciple of Christ isn't at all about you. not about us. Being a disciple of Christ means that we are willing to suffer. We are willing to give up everything to follow him. And when Jesus was at the height of his popularity, 
And he was attracting large crowds of people. There was a lot of energy and excitement about this prophet who was doing this incredible teaching that, that they had never heard. He was healing people. He was feeding thousands of people with, with just a few loaves of fish, of, of, of bread and a couple of fish. And so as he was traveling one day, this, this large mass of energy was following him and people were excited and, and, and they were, there was this buzz going on. And as they were running after him, trying to get the best seat, when he stopped next, he's, Jesus stopped and he turned around and he looked at him. And it says in Luke chapter 14 that Jesus looked at them and said, if you want to be my disciples... You need to hate everyone else. Your father, your mother, your wife, your children, your brothers, your sisters. Yes, even your own life. Otherwise, you can't be my disciple. If you do not carry your cross and follow me, you can't be my disciple. And so what Jesus is saying is, Look, if, if I am not the absolute most important thing in your life, if I am not more important than your wife or your husband or your child or your father or your best friend or anything else, if I'm not most important and you're not willing to pick up your cross, if you're not willing to suffer and die for me, then this isn't the place for you. You might as well, you might as well go home. It wasn't a great it really wasn't a great growth strategy for Jesus. I mean, he really, you know, I mean, he could have continued to grow these crowds if he wouldn't have said that. But I bet that day, I bet the crowds thinned out. I bet a lot of people, when Jesus said that, were like, hmm, I, I don't think I'm... I think I'll head back this way. It's safer back here. He's saying, look, if you're not willing to pay the price, don't even start, because being a disciple, being Christ-like, means that I'm willing to give up everything. I'm willing, I'm willing to suffer. Being a disciple is costly. So my question is, what, why do you come to church? Why are you here this morning? Are you here because you like the worship? You like the choir? You like the building? You, you like everything about this place? a lot of things about this place. You like the children's ministry. It's great. You like the youth ministry. It's awesome. But why are you here? Are you here to be equipped to go and serve, to go and love, to go and sacrifice? Because that day 2,000 years ago, Jesus said, if that's, all you're, if that's the only reason you're here, you might as well go play golf because it's not just about you. It's about being willing to sacrifice. So a disciple of Christ serves because 
Christ serves. He loves because Christ loved. And he's willing to suffer because, because Christ suffered. But the disciple of Christ also is on mission. We are to be like Christ in his mission. Jesus in John chapter 17, when he is praying, before he goes to the cross, he says, he's, he's praying to the Father and he says, as you sent me into the world, I have sent them into the world. And in chapter 20 he says, as the Father has sent me, so am I sending you. These words are, are, are significant. They, this is an instruction that our mission is in the world. Because remember, we resemble our teacher. Our teacher came to this world to serve humanity. And as his disciple, as his student, I must go into the world. I must go the way that he did and share the good news of Jesus Christ. Share the gospel. You know, we're, we're not just to be hunkered down in our safe buildings, in our safe houses, and just read the Bible and sing together. Now, we're, we're, as disciples of Christ, if we want to be Christ-like, we must go. And, and sometimes that's dangerous. But, but we must go. We are sent into the world to serve. And so we must be on mission as disciples. And, and what does that look like? What does it look like for a disciple of Christ to be on mission? Well, Jesus in, in Matthew chapter 28, and, and Keith referenced this uh, verse a couple weeks ago, Jesus said, therefore, go and make disciples of all nations baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. When you begin to look at Jesus' life, when you study what he did, his primary focus when he was here on earth was to make disciples. And so Jesus poured himself into a few, into 12. And when you, when you look at his life, a majority of his time was spent with the 12 very little of his time was spent preaching to the masses. Jesus was very strategically investing in these few men, preparing them to go and make disciples. Because he understood the power of multiplication. He knew that if he poured into them, if they learned from him, they would in turn go and pour into other men and women who would then pour into other men and women. All of a sudden, you've got multiplication happening. We're not just adding by addition, but, but the gospel is catching fire and going all 
over the world. He knew that was his strategy. He knew that was, that's what would take the gospel to the whole world. But it took those 11 men being faithful with what they had been taught and going. It tells us in Acts chapter 1, verse 8, that Jesus told his disciples that you're going, to see, you're going to receive power from the Holy Spirit. And when the power of the Holy Spirit comes upon you, you're going to go to Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. And what Jesus was saying is, look, when you receive the Holy Spirit, this message that I've given you you're not just going to keep it in Jerusalem. This message that I'm giving you, it's going to be preached in Jerusalem, then it's going to go into, into Judea and spill over into Samaria, and ultimately this gospel is going to go to the whole world. It's going to explode if you do what I told you to do, if you make disciples. You see, Their impact wasn't just local or regional. When the Holy Spirit came upon them, the world was their mission field. And within 18 years, this gospel that they received had gone to the world. It says in, in, in Acts chapter 17, um, it says, And these men, talking about disciples, they have caused trouble all over the world, and now they've come here. This gospel that we have is powerful. And as disciples of Christ, we must take it. That's our mandate. That, that's our mission to take this gospel to the world. It's not just for us to keep to ourselves. You see, a disciple of Christ, those who are Christ-like, go. Now, that word go in, in Matthew chapter 28 is better translated going or, or as you are going. See, the idea in the Great Commission wasn't that just a few people would go somewhere, would go away, would go far, far away and, and, and teach the gospel. What Jesus is saying is, is as you are going, in your everyday, ordinary life, make disciples. In your everyday, ordinary life, make disciples. You see... Disciple-making, the goal that Jesus is talking about here, isn't just a one-time event. It's not, although going to Ecuador and going to Nicaragua and going to, on mission trips to Columbus and inner city, those are all really good. But that's not what Jesus is talking about. He's saying, look, in your everyday life, take the gospel with you. You see, disciple-making isn't a spiritual gift that just a few people have. You with your spiritual gift, whatever that may be, and for all of us, that's different. You don't need the spiritual gift of teaching or preaching to advance the gospel. 
to be a disciple maker. You use your gift, whatever that may be, to advance the gospel. You've got friends, you've got neighbors, you've got family members who need to hear disciple making is a lifestyle. So we are making disciples. Moms and dads, you're making disciples at home. You make disciples at work. You make disciples at school. It's an as-you-are-going mentality. In Deuteronomy chapter 6, and I, and I always refer to this in the baby ded- when we do baby dedications, it says in Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 4, it says, We're to love the Lord our God with all our heart, with all our soul, and with all our strength. And it says then that we are to commit ourselves to wholeheartedly teach these commands to our children. It says that we're to repeat them again and again. We're to talk about them at home and on the road and going to bed and getting up. In other words, in ordinary, everyday life, I am making disciples. Your children are watching. You are making disciples. The question is, what kind of disciples are you making them into? It's a scary thing that, that, to think that our kids are just like us. So when you discipline your kids for doing something bad, it's probably because they're just like you. But we have this opportunity in our everyday, ordinary life, when we are Christ-like to make disciples. It's a journey that we're on. I remember 1995 when, when I, as a young pastor, knew little to nothing about, about pastoring. There was a gentleman, Freeman Hostetler, who invested in me. We would get together every couple weeks down at Mrs. Yoder's in Mount Hope and we would, we would eat breakfast and, and he would just sit and talk to me about what it meant to be, to be a dad and a husband as a preacher. He talked to me about what it meant to lead. He talked to me about just about life. And he poured himself over a period of, of three, or years, three or four years, poured himself into me, praying for me, caring for me. And you know, my life was changed because He was willing to invest in me. Who are you investing in? You know, I see us with our children. And I I love sports, don't get me wrong. but, But I see us making great baseball players and, and volleyball players and, and golfers and, and, and we invest in our children to make them into to businessmen and women who will take our place. Is that really what we want? Now, God has blessed some of you with incredible athletic abilities. 
He blessed you with that athletic ability not to make so you get all the accolades and can do all these great things. He gave those to you as a platform to be a disciple maker. You know, Derek Miller, who, well, Jeff Poland, he's a runner. You know, he can run 26 miles, like, you know, before breakfast. Now, now God, God hasn't given Jeff this ability to, to, to run a marathon so that everybody would, would stand up and cheer for Jeff. It's a platform that God has given him to be a disciple maker. You know, God has made some of you really good businessmen and women. Not so that you can get rich or be successful. He's given that for you as a platform to be a disciple maker. You see, in and of themselves athletics and business and money and all uh, these things that God has given you, he's given them to you as a platform to be a disciple maker. So whether you drive a bus or you're a mechanic or, or a maintenance guy or, or a cabinet guy or, or a student or a teacher or a doctor, he's given those things so that in our everyday ordinary life, we are making disciples. And when we did the surveys here, here a while back, um, there was a statistic that, that was troubling to me, and one of them was, uh, was in the area of disciple-making. 45% of you, 42% of you say that you disciple someone else. That's, that's it's okay, but not great. But then only 45% of parents said that they disciple their children. To me, that's very troubling. Because this gospel, this incredible new good news that Jesus died for you and for your children is going to be lost if you don't invest and disciple your children. You've got one chance. Disciple in everyday, ordinary life. That is our mission. And our motive for that is the fact that Jesus loved us. And Jesus was asked one time, what's the greatest commandment? And he said, to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and with all your mind. That's the first command. Then to love your neighbor as yourself. We take the great commission, we take the gospel to the world because of our love for God and our love for people. For Christ's love, 2 Corinthians 5.14 says, compels us. Christ's love compels us to go. And we should, with Paul, say, as he says in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, he says, follow my example as I follow the example of Christ. Can I say that? Can you say that? Can you, can you look around to your children or to, to your coworkers and say, follow me as I follow Christ? We have a responsibility 
to share the gospel with those around us. And then when they come to faith, we have a responsibility to walk them to maturity. Four chair discipleship, which is a class that's being taught right in here. Come and see. Follow me. I will make you a fisher of men. Seeker, new believer, worker, disciple maker. That's ultimately the goal for all of us as believers is to be disciple makers. And I'm out of time. And lunch is cooking. You know, back at the beginning of the year, we handed these out. Um, hopefully every one of you got this. If you didn't, there's some more out on the information center. This is a prayer card. And what we wanted you to do at the beginning of the year, and we want you still to do, is, is to put two or three names on this prayer card of people that you know that God wants you to share the gospel with. People that are lost. People that may not even be seekers. I want you to get these out. I want you to be thinking, who is that one person? If you, don't, if you haven't filled one out, Get your bulletin out and write a name on there of somebody that you know that God is just impressing upon your heart right now that needs to know. And as you are going in your everyday, ordinary life, you look for ways to share the gospel with these people. As Followers of Christ. Being Christ-like means that we go and we share and we care. Will we follow Christ? Let us pray. Father, I pray that by the power of your Holy Spirit you would begin to do a work in us. Lord, break our hearts for lost people. Father, give us this deep desire to take the good news that Jesus has died and resurrected for all people, to take it to our friends, our coworkers, our classmates, and that we would, as we are going, introduce them to Jesus and walk with them and care for them and help them to mature. Father, give us courage to speak, opportunity to know when to speak. Lord, as we're writing those names down right now, Maybe it's our child. Maybe it's a brother or a sister. Father, would you give us the courage to begin to share and to care, to care about those who are lost. And that when the world looks as they would see us, know that we are your disciples. Empower us as we go. As we enjoy a meal together, 
bless the food and bless the conversation. In Christ's name we pray.